Our scripture reading this morning is Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20, and is found on page 1832 in your pew Bible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Father, we've come to you in, in prayer and song. We've heard scripture read at the beginning and, and reflected on through our music. And now we've heard your word. Lord, may all, may all this settle deep within our hearts and souls and minds to shape us more and more into who you've called us to be. And I pray that the words which which will now be spoken. May they be your words, not mine. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. How many days away until Christmas? Who can tell me? I'm sure somebody knows how far it is from Christmas. I saw some people holding hands up, fingers up. They don't want to shout out. Well, if it's on the 25th, it's the 16th today, so it's nine days away. It's getting really close. It's amazing how fast Advent goes by. My grandson opens a, an Advent pocket every morning and gets a piece of chocolate. And now there's way more doors open on his Advent calendar than there are closed. And you know Christmas is coming close because as you go through the malls, as you listen on the radio, there's all kinds of Christmas music being played. And, and mixed in with the songs about Rudolph and Santa Claus and Baby It's Cold Outside, you hear, you hear joy to the world. You hear Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And, and the message of Jesus is getting out there even when people aren't paying attention. But it's amazing how, how those songs soak into our souls and into our hearts. But the problem is, people know the story of Christmas. They know the story of this little baby being born to a poor couple in the town of Bethlehem. They know that that wasn't really their hometown, that they were forced to go there by this mean Caesar guy far, far away. They know that there was no room in the house or in the inn, and that the baby was laid in the manger, and 
the shepherds came and, and, and they kind of went, wow, this child is a special child. And, and a little while later, some wise men came from the east and, and they brought all kinds of gifts and said, whoa, this is, this is a special child. Even the heavens are telling us about the child. The problem is for so many people, that's where the story stops. The story stops with a child in a manger in a feed trough like you have up here. And that's not a story that's going to carry us through life. It's a cute story. It's a wonderful story. But it's only, only part of the story. The people in Colossae, the people that Paul is writing to right now, they've heard about this Jesus. They've listened to his teachings through different preachers, including Paul, who, who, who started that church. So they know a lot about what Jesus was about and what he taught and how he lived. They, they knew that he could do miracles, he could heal people, and he could cast demons out, and, and he even rose people up from the dead. They even knew that he rose from the dead and that he's back in heaven. And they were taught that he was also God. But that's a hard thing to accept. That's a hard thing to, to believe. It's much easier to believe in Jesus as a great teacher, as, as somebody who can do amazing things. But if he's really going to make a difference in our life, really he's got to be more than that. Last night I heard that Terry was one of your favorite teachers. I'm hoping so. He's a nice guy. But the problem with a teacher is that you listen and you take in some of the stuff that you like. But you know, if you don't like something that your teacher says, it goes in one ear and out the other. And that's what's so easy to do with Jesus if we only accept him as a teacher. And then he doesn't really, doesn't really help us through life all that much. And the people from Colossae, they were living in a place where they believed in spirits. They believed in, in powers. They believed in gods. But the problem was their, their gods were sometimes nice, sometimes good. But even the good gods, they could have a bad day. If you did something that, that kind of irked them or, or made them angry, and, and face it, we all do things like that to each other, they had the power to really make your life miserable and hard. And there was a lot of fear of offending those powers, offending those gods. And, and then there was those evil spirits, those spirits that, that were out there to make your life really miserable, to, to if even possible, to take your life from you. And they had no power, they had nothing to stand up against that with. That is until Paul came to tell them about who Jesus is. Because if Jesus is God, then that means Jesus has a power 
to stand against those things that they're afraid of, those things that, that, that were taking their lives and, and creating chaos and hurt and pain, creating confusion, frustration, and brokenness. But again, there's that doubt. Is Jesus really God? Can he really do the things that Paul said? So Paul, Paul comes to them and, and he writes this letter. And the section that we read this morning is actually a poem. It's an early poem from the early church. Now, the early church wrote many poems and many songs about Jesus because that's how you remember the songs this morning, many of them. I could hear you sing, and, and, and I, must, I can almost guarantee that many of you didn't even need to look at the words because they're songs that, that have sunk into your souls and into your hearts. They're songs that have become part of you because they're so familiar, but they're also written in a way that we're, we can easily remember them as well. So that's why Paul says, I want you to know that Jesus is God. And I'm going to, to use a poem so that you can easily remember this. And you've heard it. You've heard about how, how Paul talks and he, he says, you know what? He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, for us, an image is, is about looking into a mirror and see something staring back at us. When I look in the mirror in the first thing in the morning, I always think I'm kind of lucky because I only have to look at myself once today. Uh, everybody else has to look at me and kind of go, oh. But, but Jesus is not that kind of an image. That's not how they used the word image back then. Back then, when Paul says he's the image of the invisible God, he's saying Jesus is the physical incarnation. He's the physical being of God. He is God become flesh, God that you can touch, God that you can, you can see, God that you can, you can hear, and, and, and if you got close to him, you could smell the, the, his breath from, and the food that he had eaten for breakfast or lunch or supper. You could he, smell the sweat on him as he was walking through, through the countryside and into the city. You could feel his touch when he put his hand on you. You could feel his love when he embraced you as he embraced children on his knee. That's what Paul is saying. You can look at Jesus, and, and, and you may not have seen him, but, but many others have, and, and I have myself as well. And he's more than just a person. He's the image. He is the person of God. Come right here to each of you so that, so that you don't have to wonder if God is really real. When God's invisible, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe in something you can't see. That's why Jesus says later on to, to, to Thomas, you know, blessed are those who believe and they haven't seen because it's not easy. This is really close. <laughs> Paul
Paul goes on and says that that all of creation belongs to Jesus as well. Because everything was created through Jesus. And he, he holds everything together as well. Now think about that. We, we read the beginning of the Bible and, and, and we read that you know, everything is formless and void and it's chaotic and it's messy and everything else. And then God speaks and, and everything kind of begins to sort itself out. And there's that spirit of God that's kind of hovering over everything as well. But then we find out in John 1 that, that when God spoke, the word was Jesus Christ. And that, that the creation happened through Jesus Christ as well. And that's something a person can't do. We can't just create by speaking. We're not a word that can just create something out of nothing. And for people who are wondering how powerful a God Jesus was, all of a sudden, Paul is saying, he created, and everything was created through him, including everything in the heavens. So that meant that all those gods and all those spirits and all those powers that, that they're afraid of, that, that seem to have control in their lives, that, that seem to be able to, to create chaos and everything else, that, that they were created by and through Jesus as well. But he also learned that everything was good and very good when it was created, that, that these spirits, these powers, these gods, they chose to turn away from God. They chose to be against God. But we don't have to be afraid because Jesus was the one who created them in the beginning. He has the power to keep them in control, to, to make sure that, that, that they can go just so far for me, that's one of the most powerful scenes in the, in the story of Job is where, is where Satan comes into heaven and says, there's this guy that really likes you and, you know, he worships you and he serves you and everything else, but he's only doing that because you've given him, like, everything he wants. I bet you that if I take everything away from him that he's going to say, you know what, I don't want you as a God. And God says, fine, you can test him but you can only go so far. God, Jesus, puts limits on the powers, on the forces, on the gods so that they can't, they can't have that much power over us. They can tempt us, they can lie, they can deceive, they can lead us, they can create pain, they can create hurt and all that kind of stuff, but they cannot have control over us unless we give it to them. J.B. Lighthouse, he puts it this way. Jesus is the one who makes creation a cosmos instead of a chaos. And for me, that that kind of represents life as well. And it, it, it reflects what our catechism says also that, 
that God became human. He became flesh through the Virgin Mary. He, he was born just like we were born, and he lived, but he was still completely and fully God. He retained his place. He retained his power, his person as God, so that no matter what happened, he was the one that was always in control. And for those of us who are going through hard times, times where where our lives may be chaotic, times where there's hurt and brokenness that seems to overwhelm us, perhaps a good friend turned against you, perhaps you've lost a loved one, maybe the job you were hoping for didn't pan out, maybe your, your kids have made decisions leading down a hard path and you feel powerless to stop them. Maybe your parents are in a place where because of their disappointment or hurt or brokenness, they're turning to something to soothe and ease their pain. But that doesn't have to have control over our lives. We have a God who has lived life like we have, who has experienced loss. Jesus, sometime between the age of 12 when he goes to the the, the temple and, and the age of 30 when he begins his ministry, he lost his human father, Joseph. He knows grieving. He grieved at the loss of a friend, Lazarus. He knows pain. He knows rejection. So many of his own people rejected him. Many of them mocked him, saying, who do you think you are? You know, you're just the son of a carpenter. You're nobody special. How dare you say that you're God, or you're you're connected to God, or, or you're with God? He was betrayed. He was unjustly beaten. He went to the cross. He died there, branded a traitor. And he did that all for us. Because as God, he loves us so much. And and that original sin, the penalty was death. But he had to become human because humans, we sinned, so the penalty was on us. So Jesus becomes human. And he goes to the cross and he says, I am going to take your place. One of the most powerful moments is is when he asks his father to forgive them because they've got no clue what they're doing. And that prayer is for us as well because so often when we sin, we have no clue really what we're doing. Now there are those times when we're very well aware of what we're doing, but we still have no clue how much we're hurting God, how much we're hurting Jesus, how much we may be hurting others, or how much we're hurting ourselves. And Jesus says, forgive them. I'm here for them. And then he died for us. But even death couldn't hold him because the cross was was not just about paying for our sin. It's also defeating sin, defeating death, defeating Satan so that we don't have to be afraid of those powers. You see, and our gods are different. Tim Keller says, we don't have gods like they did back 
in Jesus' time, but we take the good things, the blessings that, that God gives us, and we turn them into God's. We make them more important than Jesus's. And really, that's, that's what a God is. It's just something that we've made more important than Jesus. And we can make our friends more important. We can make our kids more important. You know, we often turn to the kind of the big three, you know, money, power, and sex as, as being the big three gods in our, li- in our times. But there's so many other things. Anything that's good that God gives us, that we value more than Jesus, has become a God to us. And the problem with our gods is that they always disappoint us. They always, they always let us down. I guess that's one of the saddest things about being a pastor is walking with people in their, in their brokenness because they had placed their trust on their RRSP or they placed their trust in this new job or they placed all their trust in, in, this, in this marriage, in this person that they were going to make them whole and they were going to solve all their problems or, or they put their trust in this child that was going to draw them closer together or they placed their trust in whatever. And then the spouse says, I don't really love you anymore. The child says, you know what? You're an overbearing parent, and I'm just leaving, or I'm not listening. Or the job disappears because of the economy. Your RRSP, somebody walks off with it. And we place our trust, our security in these things, and we get let down. And then we wonder, what can we do? Who can we turn to? And Paul says you can turn to Jesus because he's the one who enters into our chaos and he brings order. He, he goes into our pain and into our, 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 our mess and he says, I am with you. And you can lean on me. You can, you can find strength in me. You can find hope. You can find a way forward again. You don't have to stay where you are. And that's why Jesus, that's why God gave us the church. And Paul says that Jesus is the head of the church. Because if Jesus is the head of the church, that means we're completely shaped by him. What Jesus loves, because we're his body, we begin to love. Where he leads, we go. What he values, what he loves, we value and love. And Jesus values and loves people. You see that throughout his ministry. And he says, I want the church to be more and more like me. And that's why we walk together, to become more and more like Christ, encouraging and and blessing each other. There's this whole fallacy that God gives us, doesn't give us more than we can we can handle. And that's a lie. God always gives us more than we can handle. But he says, I'm giving you a body, a church, a group of people that will pick you up when you can no longer move forward. When you've sunk to your knees and the only thing you can do is cry out to me, I've given you the church, my body, to pick you up and to walk with you. 
to, to help you see where I am, to, to help you see that you are never alone, that I am always with you. The church is not just a gathering of people. It's not just something that, that we can choose to go to and, and we can belong at whatever level we want to. The church is the body of Jesus. His spirit just permeates into us, into us as individuals, but into us as a group of people as well. So that when one of us isn't around and we stop getting together regularly, the whole body begins to hurt. But you find that as you separate yourself from the body, your life slowly becomes more chaotic. It's amazing how much hurt hurts more when you separate yourself from the body because you're separating yourself from Christ as well. My wife and I are part of a support group for parents who are in crisis and grandparents and aunts and uncles who are taking care of nieces and nephews. And it's a painful support group to belong to because to be leaders in it, we had to have walked that same journey. And it is hard when your children, your grandchildren, your, your nieces or nephews have, have, chosen, have chosen drugs and addictions, where they've chosen homelessness over a home, where they've chosen violence over safety, where they've cho chosen aloneness over family. And we've had parents who have lost children due to fentanyl and opioids. And they come and they ask questions. Questions like, why? Where did I go wrong? As a pastor, because this is a community support group, I have to be careful about sharing my faith. But they know I'm a pastor. So during the meeting, there will be support and there will be encouragement. But the questions really don't have any answers. But it's afterwards that the parents will come up and say, why is God allowing this? Why doesn't God care? And we'll talk that, you know, this is the effects of sin. This is not because they've necessarily done anything wrong. But sin and temptation and brokenness and addiction is part of our world because Satan loves bringing chaos into the order that, that God's created And it's amazing how most of them have never walked into a church. But they're still wondering why God isn't around. And I've talked with a, a number of them. And I said, you come here because you can't handle this by yourself. 
till you find other broken people to walk with you and to help you and to give you answers. But you found that the only answers that they have is that you do the best you can. You take care of yourself. I said, if you're looking for real help, I invite you to join a church. Because people there will not only walk with you on one evening a week for two and a half hours, they'll walk with you through the whole week. They'll say not only be strong and and you'll get through it and you'll survive, they'll also remind you that you're not alone, that that God sees your pain, that that Jesus, Jesus lived your pain. He lived rejection and brokenness and hurt. And he's God and he can bring healing. One of the mothers has joined a church and she's become a powerful witness. She is able to speak as a parent, not a leader, and she's encouraging others, you have to find Jesus. Jesus is the only one powerful enough to enter into our pain and our brokenness and bring any semblance of of ordinary again, any semblance of healing. And that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying Jesus is God. He's telling the Colossians and us today that life can be all messed up and there are powers and forces all over the place, but we don't have to be afraid because Jesus is more powerful than any of them. And he's given us the church the church where we can find strength and hope and a group of people who keep pointing us to Jesus and who keep helping us to see God when we can't see him. So as we enter into this Advent season, as we're going through and getting closer to that manger, don't stop at the manger. Don't even stop at the cross. But remember, Jesus was risen from the dead. That tomb is empty, and he is with his Father, and he is coming back again. And one day he is going to bring complete and full healing, and there will be no more mourning. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. He's coming to bring renewal, but already renewal is breaking into this world through you, through the church through the power of Jesus, through us and in us. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for your servant, Paul, who helps to remind us of who your son is, that your son is God, that he is with you, he is in you, and he is you as well. So Lord, may this be our strength and our courage as we walk through life, as we enter into our community and others who are hurting, we too can lead them to Jesus, who is God with you. Amen.